Welcome back to The Detail and our first podcast for 2021. I'm Alexia Russell and today I'm at the beach. Not because it's anniversary day in Auckland, but because there's been a big problem over the summer. Pollution. Aucklanders are saying it's not good enough and I'm here to find out what's being done about it. A warning tonight to Auckland beachgoers. Check before you swim. It comes as 50 beaches in the region were deemed unswimmable today due to pollution. They've detected faecal matter in the water. That's thought to have come about from recent stormwater surges. Now those warnings today were what's called a red warning. That's where they're advising people not to go into the water because you could be putting yourself at risk. Well, because insufficient money has been spent over many, many decades, you know, we now have a situation now where you get a wastewater overflow every time it rains. And I don't think in anyone's book um, that that's acceptable. I'll take you back to the beach soon, but first the big picture. Aotearoa has about 15,000 kilometres of coastline and we like to think some of the best beaches in the world. And you don't have to travel far to get there. Our cities have easy access to sand and sea. But our biggest cities also have some big problems, including crumbling pipes that are 100 years old or more. New research says New Zealand's drainage systems need a major and costly upgrade. What's going on with Wellington's water infrastructure? And I'm not the only person asking that question. Numerous problems with water and sewage. We do need much more investment in water infrastructure, particularly in our urban centres around New Zealand, not just Auckland, by the way. Wellington has a huge problem as well. We've seen some massive infrastructure failures over the past year or so in Wellington and some smaller ones as well. And unfortunately, I think that this is just what's going to happen until you know we can sort it out. While Wellington struggles with an ancient sewerage system that seems to be constantly breaking down, the problems in Auckland are less dramatic but appear to be more widespread. People weren't paying too much attention to it until a website called Safe Swim was launched by the Auckland Council three summers ago that lights up red when there's a code brown. That's exactly what happened last month, and people lashed out at the council for years of neglect. So what's really going on in the pipes, and is Safe Swim doing its job? Here's Safe Swim's program manager, Nick Vigar. Did it bite us on the bum? Uh, I think... Uh, I, it will happen every year. We have to. We have to accept. You, you know, safe swim. Although it's a tool to help people manage that risk, inevitably it will be the tool that people people will judge us on. Safe swim is a tool that lets you go online really quickly and make some sensible decisions about going to the beach. It's a website. Pick it up on your phone is the easiest way, and it will literally find where you are. It'll it'll take you to the to the closest beaches. So it really is a, a, a quick process. Currently on the website, you'll see over 100 beaches in Auckland, but in fact, we're taking water quality samples at over 240. We have a team of full-time people. They travel around the region and monitor your beach. Now our boots on the ground. It builds on, a, on something that we've been doing for years. For, for decades, we've been out there testing the water quality at beaches um, for faecal contamination. So we measure E. coli, we measure enterococci, these things that tell us whether we've got contamination by wastewater. So we've had that data set for years. There's a fundamental issue in, in collecting that data, which is that uh, if I go and collect a water sample at a beach, I can't tell you for 48 hours whether that beach was safe on that day. And that's, that's fundamentally the, the problem that Safe Swim seeks to address. So we still have our monitoring programs at the beaches, just like we've always had. 
but now we take a look at that data and we try and uh, we have models which let us understand when those beaches exceed guidelines. And, and for most beaches, that's rainfall. During rainfall, most of our beaches are fine uh, in dry weather. And after some amount of rainfall, depending on the beach, if you look back through the data record at the monitoring, you'll see that you know for a particular beach, it might be after 15 mils of rainfall, it tends to exceed. Mm. And so we have, we have models running in the background looking at that data and saying, yep, once we've had a certain amount of rainfall or certain conditions, we'd expect that, that beach to um, exceed guidelines. And so when we talk about the predictive models that we have on Safe Swim, that's what we're talking about. We're looking at our rainfall data around the region, which is real time, and we're looking at what's, what rain has fallen. We're looking at what happened at a particular beach last time when we got a similar amount of rain. And so that allows us with a pretty, pretty good degree of accuracy to say whether a beach is likely to be high risk or not. Back to the beach where I'm meeting the Council's Environment Committee Chair, Richard Hills. I asked him, how bad really are the city's beaches? Look, for a urban city, most of our beaches are actually pretty good, especially on the North Shore where some of the, the complaints were coming from. You have sort of 95 97% um, good water quality. But after those massive rains, after you have several months of a very, very dry um, season, all what we call is the first flush, so that's flushing all the stuff off the roads, you've got avian poo, dog poo, and then potentially anything that is illegally connected to our stormwater system all comes out at once, which is why the Safe Swim uh, system, which is modelling, it doesn't necessarily mean there is um, pollutants in the water, but it's modelling the likelihood. So if there's a more than 2% chance that someone, by drinking, you know, getting water in their mouth right close to the beach. Um, If there's a more than 2% chance they could get sick by that, the red flag gets turned on. Uh, And that is largely what we saw over summer due to that massive downpour and everything rushing out of the stormwater drains into our beaches. Which is not based on actual taking water samples and instantly, uh, you know, finding out what's wrong with them. It's based on historic events and data collection that kind of and modeling as you said yeah it's all based on likelihoods the tides the amount of uh, rain we have and what is in those catchments so some of our larger catchments you've got you know all the uh, leaf matter everything sitting on the um, on the roads that all just rushes out so that's based on that modeling um, what we used to do before safe swim so we've only had safe swim for uh, about three and a half three-ish years before that, we would have water quality testing done by helicopter or other um, you know, ways to get water samples. We would test that, and then 48 hours later, we would then report oh, the beach a couple of days ago wasn't safe for swimming. But it probably is now. So now what the Safe Swim is designed to do is to give people that real-time information of the likelihood of um, potential pollution at the beaches. Okay, so we're at Beach Haven. It tides out. It, I mean, it looks okay, but Beach Haven is one of the better beaches. There's a lot of trees between the road and the beach, and there's a huge current that flows through here. We're looking directly across at the Meola Reef, and it's a downhill from that is Cox's Bay, and they're two of our worst beaches permanently closed. What's being done about those places? Yeah, so unlike the North Shore, where we have a separated system, so if there's any faecal matter in the North Shore beaches, it's because largely due to illegal connections or accidental broken pipes that are being fixed over time or have already been fixed. On the isthmus, the western isthmus around Miola Reef and uh, Cox's Bay and even around St Mary's Bay, that whole area um, 
is designed to overflow into the water. So the the infrastructure has been left by either you know by promising lower rates or by not actually dealing with it has been left for decades and decades and decades. And that is actually designed even in not wet weather. If there's an overflow, it will go straight into the the water into the harbour, and, and that does have an impact on all of us. So that wash can come into Little Shoal Bay, it can come up over over to here into Shoal Bay, and it can obviously affect um, all of the harbour. But definitely in those areas, those are some of the permanently closed places for swimming, or we tell people, you know, you've got a quite a high risk of contamination because that whole system is designed to overflow into the harbour. So what's being done about that? So what's being done in that area is there's a $1.3 billion um, project called the Central Interceptor and that is basically increasing the capacity of pipes which will also mean that there's far fewer um, overflows. So what it's a pretty complex thing it's tunnelling a massive tunnel under all the households and all the way through there and it'll take all of that extra wastewater and it's preparing for growth as well of that area and it will take all that extra wastewater straight to the um, wastewater treatment plant in Mangari. So South Auckland though is particularly badly off as well when it comes to beaches Um, but Langholm, a success story, what happened there? So Langholm is one of the ones that we uh, put a lot of effort into in the beginning. There's a couple of other, there's another one in Tamaki Estuary where there were some issues that because we got the water quality targeted rate three years ago, so the Aucklanders who submitted on the plan supported that uh, two-thirds in favour, one-third against, so paying a little bit extra in their rates to then focus and really increase our work on water quality action, which was around the same time as Safe Swim came out. Um, and that, what we did in those areas was caught part of safe networks and part of like a full kind of look at all the pipes network around that area, fix any issues such as illegal connections, um, poorly done development, and people's private networks that maybe weren't connected to the wastewater system properly. So once you've got all those things cleaned up, up the catchment, you can slowly start to see um, quite a big change there. So we are opening beaches again to the public that, that maybe had never been able to be swimming for decades. With the central interceptor, in areas like Cox's Bay and that, in a city isthmus area, I mean, I guess people would say that that interceptor is a long-term project. It's not going to be finished for quite a while. What for? Should be twenty twenty-eight. What are the, what about remedial action? What can be done in the interim? Yeah, so there's some uh, some short-term actions that are being done um, with what we call safe networks, which is what was done in Takapuna two years ago. Which you're looking through the whole system for uh, issues. And say Takapuna, we found 40 issues they were addressed. We've seen much better water quality there. And places so, so like that's Cox's, by like door knocking. Yeah, so and door knocking, tracing the tracing the sewage. pipes, um, sort of putting uh, cameras, CCTV cameras, all the way through the pipe network. Um, smoke testing, so I went out and saw some of the smoke testing done. So obviously if you're putting smoke through, uh, say, the toilet area and it comes out the stormwater, you know there's a, a misconnection somewhere. And the opposite way, some of the businesses had stormwater attached to their wastewater, which means it overflows the other way. So you've got those things addressed. In Cox's Bay, there's not a lot you can do apart from that big um, work, but there is stuff like St Mary's Bay and um, the West Haven area got about a 40 million dollar project there which is taking the the wastewater uh, with a pump station and actually much better connected pipes that will um you know overflow in the right areas instead of right into the 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 beaches there so it sounds like you're spending an awful lot of money on this 
Yeah, so this long-term plan coming up will increase our just on capital infrastructure for water from $7 billion over 10 years to $11.1 billion over 10 years. But previous to that, I don't have the exact figures because um, it's so complex. You've got stormwater improvements, then wastewater replacements, all the renewals we're doing, plus you've got all the regulatory impacts, the safer networks, all the scientists, the testing. There's heaps of money being spent. But obviously if we had a big increase, um, about almost $80 million a year through the water quality targeted rate and water care's additional spend. Um, but I could point to projects uh, on the shore. I can point to a couple of years ago we had the Fred Thomas um, pump station that was built that opened two years ago that's 30 million dollars and that increased capacity for wastewater for about a hundred thousand households but also has reduced um, the wastewater overflows into shoal bay from about 22 a year to none um, you've got a wide interceptor that was done about 14 million dollars about three years ago on long wide road and view road and that takes a whole lot of capacity as well you've got things like hearst road which most people think is a streetscape upgrade but we've actually replaced the wastewater the water supply and the stormwater there to basically renew that whole pipe area but also then reduce any of the contaminants going to takapuna beach so so when you get people saying council's done nothing about it no money's been spent must get on your wick a little bit, especially when you get this coming from politicians who should know better. Yeah, I mean, I guess the frustration is when people say, you know, calling for inquiries, calling for... We know there's an issue. Uh, this is kind of the whole point of Safe Swim, to show people how bad it is in some places, but also in an urban area how, you know, with billions and billions and billions of dollars, you may not get perfection on those massive rain um, situations. We can't, unless we're going to take cars off the road and prevent people having any stormwater or wastewater. And dogs stop pooing and yeah. birds stop leaving their droppings. Absolutely. Like some of the issues on the, on the eastern beaches are sometimes we test the water and it's often avian because you do have a lot build up over time. Um, but yeah, so it's, I guess it's frustrating. It's not so much frustrating. People just don't know what they don't know. And I guess we're but, trying know, to promote that. You've put your dirty washing out there with Safe Swim, haven't you? I mean, you've told Aucklanders exactly what you think is going on, and the, you can't hide from that now. Has it turned around and kind of bit your back? Yeah, I mean, we warned people at the time you're going to see things you're shocked by with the Safe Swim network, but I think it's better to be transparent to people and then show them the improvements over time, um, but also acknowledge that we are, you know, we are putting a whole lot of unnatural things onto a, in, in, into our natural environment. Um, some people do get confused and blame it all on intensification, but actually we are seeing incredible improvements from um, some of the intensification. You know, older pipe networks are mostly private, and we can't, unless they're really bad, we can find people, but we rely on people replacing their own pipes and their own connections and all that sort of thing. We replace the public network, but they have to fix their own network on their own properties. But what we're seeing with Kaingal Order and larger developments, they're replacing huge amounts of our network, improving it. Um, just over in Ro- Mount Roskill, we had the um, Te Aunganga walkway. And in Northcote, we've got Awataha Greenway going in. And that is because of intensification. But what that is also doing is flipping all the old concrete infrastructure and bringing back those natural streams, bringing back uh, water quality, um, natural water quality kind of infrastructure such as wetlands and trees and um, 
green spaces which help prevent flooding but they also filter that water before it gets to Milford Beach, before it gets to the wider estuary. Um, but they're big expensive projects and they often mean we have to you know, take away significant parts of roading or housing um, to do that work. Some will never be able to fix such as parts of the wider estuary that were all built with concrete channels um, which heat up in the summer and when there's storms are designed to flood quickly out to sea all those contaminants really quickly so we can do a lot but we can't do everything unless people are willing to you know give up thousands of backyards to make you know turn those channels into big wide um, streams and wetlands so it's it's a real balancing act of what people want to give up to make sure we have um, better water quality. Nick Weigar pinpoints the issue. Um, the really problematic thing from a from a, an Auckland perspective is not the 30 mils of rainfall. It's the beaches that light up red after two, three, four mils of rainfall. You know that's that's the really problematic thing. It's the inability to swim at Hearn Bay or St Mary's Bay or some of those inner city beaches after a very small amount of rainfall. But when people look on the Safe Swim website and it has turned red or there are, you know, a lot of red flags there, do they have a right to get angry at that sort of historic lack of action that may contribute to this? Um, I think people have a right to get angry and sometimes that anger turns into action. You know, when when I first got onto council just before all this um, work got there, I, I was frustrated. You know, I've seen things like public transport and water infrastructure been forgotten for decades and now we're finally getting on top of those things and seeing significant change but it's often not until the public really flip it around and go hey this is important to me why aren't you doing this Um, but it's also about telling the story around the cost because of course everyone wants you know we could triple water bills overnight and probably get a whole lot done but you know there is some expectations over what people can pay and what we can do. Well, that's the other big narrative about the council, isn't it? Our rates are too high, and on the other hand, you're not doing anything. So how do you marry... Is that about selling a story? Yeah, that, it is about selling the story. And I guess for, for a, um, a councillor that I'm pretty connected on social media and um, through the media, so I watch and I remember all these figures and remember... But the average person's just too busy. They don't know that... They probably forget that we opened a pump station a couple months ago or with you know Crawfield Lane down by the motorway there we significantly um, improved the water quality there by by completely changing out those wetlands but people sort of tick things off and move on and that's fine but we've got to keep reminding them you know this is great but it won't be fixed until we have another couple billion dollars worth of work here and you know the central interceptor fantastic huge investment on the worst part of Auckland for water quality but it will take a while it doesn't it can't possibly happen overnight. We're tunnelling under people's houses and, and, and the cost of it obviously hits all our water bills and our rates. Would it be too cynical to say that Safe Swim has been a great tool for scaring people into paying up? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, it probably is cynical to say. <laughs> we didn't probably expect it to be that way, but it has been a tool to show people um, how serious the issue is because there was no way before I remember as a kid there's no you would see on the you know North Shore Times or something when you were younger uh, the beach quality was terrible three days ago like it's sort of <laughs> you're you, probably sick by now yeah so you've already <laughs> swum um, 
so now it's sort of like quite a state of the art. People overseas are looking at the safe swim model to be replicated in their cities overseas. We, we, you know, it is quite a phenomenal um, relationship we've got with the um, district health boards, the um, surf life saving with water care with council. You know, it's a it's an amazing tool. The science behind it is is pretty phenomenal. If you went to the Auckland Council website a few years back, the guidance that was given was very simply, don't swim for 48 hours after rain. Well, that's great guidance, but it immediately asks, you know, there's a whole lot of questions um, like how much, how much rain, rain? What's, yeah. a, what's a significant rainfall event, and, and obviously you know, 48 hours for some beaches seems very long when, when tidal flushes, uh, you know, a tidal, a tidal cycle was... You know, a couple of times a day, you're getting a full turnover of water. 48 hours seems a lot. And for some beaches, it is. It's a very conservative bit of guidance. So you can almost look at safe swim as a refinement of that. I was out swimming the day after the, the red flags in Cheltenham and then we were at um, Takapuna and people were saying, oh, don't swim there. And I'm like, it's fine. Check the, check the app. I know it's fine. Um, you know, so if it's a sunny day, definitely. And a rainy day in some of our beaches would be absolutely fine too. It's just making sure we check the app and acknowledge that there could be risk. And by the way, Richard Hill says the biggest problem with Auckland's drains is still wet wipes. People flushing them down the loo where they get caught in the sewers and clog the system. No wipes are flushable, even if that's what it says on the box. That's all for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail was brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and thanks to Richard Hills and Nick Viger. Kakite anō. Kakite anō.